Good morning. I'm delighted to be back with you this morning here at Fountainhead. I have thoroughly enjoyed the VBS weekend and the family rally, and I have a lesson for you today on the differences between men and women. Now, I don't know about you, but I always, when I go to conferences or go to meetings and hear all of these experts come in from out of town, I always wonder, yeah, but what's he like at home? What is his home life like? You know, because anybody can come in from out of town and be an expert, but I always wonder what's it really like in his home life. So this morning I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a story, true story, give you an example of what it's like in my home life, okay? This happened uh, several years ago. Uh, it was late in the evening, one winter evening. The boys had gone to bed, my wife had gone to bed, and I was doing my usual evening routine, being the man of the house and closing up everything and locking up everything, and I had everything finished, and I, except for the garage door, I opened the door to the sunroom, I had my finger on the garage door closer, and I was ready to put the garage door down, and that's when I heard it. Meow. There was a cat in my garage. Now, you're going to learn real quick. There's some people in this world that are cat people and some people that are dog people. I am not a cat person, okay? You're going to find that out right away. And I knew I had got to get the cat out of the garage before I put the door down because there's some wild cats in our neighborhood. And the last time I accidentally shut up a cat in the garage, let's just say there were lingering after effects for days to come, okay? So I said, I've got to get this cat out of the garage. And so I quietly walked out. Uh, I was in my pajamas and I slipped on some shoes and I went out and I went looking for the cat and I could hear it in the garage, meow, meow. And I said, where is the cat? Where is the cat? There was a, a minivan on this side, my truck on that side, and I was looking for the cat. And I finally, in the back room, in the storage room, I could hear it, meow, meow. And so I go back there and I find the cat. So I very kindly, sweetly usher the cat out between the two vehicles and I get the cat almost out of the garage when for some crazy reason that only a cat can understand, it gets spooked, it turns around, it goes right between my legs and back in the storage room in the back of the garage. I said, okay, I gotta do it again. So I go back in the storage room, I rummage around, I find the cat and I'm ushering the cat out the second time to get him out of the garage and I get him almost to the door and for some crazy reason that only a cat would understand, he gets spooked again and he turns around and runs right behind me and back in the storage room. Well, by now I'm a little bit impatient. So I get a broom and I'm gonna help the cat out. So I get the broom and I'm rummaging around and I'm hitting around and I finally find the cat and I'm ushering the cat out. Now bear in mind, this is the third time I'm ushering the cat out for the third time and just at that minute as I'm about to get him out, my wife opens the door and says, what's going on out here? And the cat spooks and goes back behind me. And back in the storage room again. Now at this point, I do what any kind, considerate husband, preacher, therapist would do to his wife. I yell at her. I said, you scared the cat. And so I go back to the back of the storage room to get the cat out for, what is it now, the fourth time. And at this point, my wife makes the first decision, which from her point of reference makes perfect sense. She doesn't go back inside the house. Instead, and she doesn't come out in the garage where she'll spook the cat again. Instead, she opens the door to the minivan and gets in. 
All right, any of you ladies know what my wife is going to do? She's going to supervise, right? She's going to make sure I do it right. So, okay, so here we are, fourth time now. I go and I get the broom and I'm going back in the back of the garage and I'm going to usher the cat out of the garage. And by this point, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit frustrated. So I'm really going, come on, cat, get out, get out, get out. And I really push the cat out of the storage room, and the cat goes straight under the minivan where my wife is sitting and right up in the engine compartment, and he's somewhere up in the engine compartment going, meow, meow, meow. Have you ever tried to find a cat in the engine compartment of a minivan? There's a lot of places they can hide. And I'm trying to get the cat out of the engine compartment of the minivan when my wife makes what, from her point of reference, the second decision that makes perfect sense, she reaches down and turns the engine on. Because she's going to scare the cat out. No, 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 there weren't any fur flying now. She didn't kill the cat. The engine is running, but the cat is still up in there. Meow, meow, meow. And I'm still trying to find it and get it out. And my wife is in the minivan running the engine trying to scare the cat out because if anybody hates cats worse than me, it's just my wife. So at that point, she makes this third, one, two, three, third decision that from her frame of reference makes perfect sense. She doesn't want the cat in our garage any more than I do. And so she decides if the engine won't, running won't get the cat out of the engine compartment, motion will. So she puts the minivan in reverse and starts backing out of the garage. She's going to help me with my job. She's backing out of the garage. Well, now, at this point, I am absolutely determined that cat is not getting past me for the fourth time. In no way that cat is getting back in that storage room. So I follow along with the broom, and I'm hitting at the front of the car. It's not going to get past me. I'm like a soccer goalie. It's not going to get past me. So I want you to get this picture. My wife is backing out in the minivan. I'm following along, hitting at it. I'm not going to let that cat get behind me. She backs all the way out of the garage. No cat. Still up in the engine block going, meow, meow. Now, at that point, my wife makes the fourth decision, which from her frame of reference makes perfect sense. She doesn't want the cat in the garage any more than I do, so she reaches up and she hits the little clicker up there, and the garage door starts coming down behind me. Okay? That way, no way that cat's getting back in our garage. But the cat is still in the engine block, so then my wife makes the fifth decision, which from her frame of reference makes perfect sense. She figures that if... The engine won't get it out, and if motion won't get it out, she'll fling it out. So she puts the engine, she puts it in drive, and she goes down the driveway. Vroom! She goes around the corner, vroom! down the block, vroom! and she's gone. I hear her going vroom, vroom, around every corner, trying to get rid of that cat. At that point, my job is done, and I turn around to go back in the house, and I quickly make three dis- three discoveries. Discovery number one: I can't get back in the house. Discovery number two, it's the middle of winter and I'm freezing. (laughs) Discovery number three, I turn around and there's my neighbor's big picture window looking out over our garage. And what I realize is that they're looking out. What they saw me do is run my wife out of the garage. (laughs) (laughs) Now, your family doesn't sound so bad, does it? (laughs) Okay. I'm supposed to be the expert. Don't you feel better? What did I tell you yesterday? All families have problems. Healthy families are not families that don't have problems. They're families that solve their problems 
with the help of God. That little story also illustrates something else, and that is men and women. And I talked about this yesterday. Men and women look at things differently. They have different perspectives, and they come up with different solutions. This morning, I want us to talk about the difference between men and women. Our text is going to be Ephesians chapter 5. So I invite you to be turning there, Ephesians chapter 5. It's a very familiar passage. We're going to begin with verse 22, and we're going to look at the difference between men and women. Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, in verse 22, gives a section where he gives commands to men and women. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by, washing with, by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he loves it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This passage speaks of the mutual obligations of husbands and wives. And while they both have a responsibility toward their mate, I want you to notice that each has a different command. We're going to begin at the end of this passage, and we're going to work our way backwards. Go down to verse 33. We're going to go to the very end and work our way backwards. In verse 33, he says, Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The command for husbands is love. The command for wives is respect. This morning I want to look at each of those commands not only in terms of what we should do, but also in terms of what they produce in the person who is on the receiving end of these qualities. Or to put it another way, why do women need to be loved? Why do men need to be respected? What is there about women that causes them to crave affection, consideration, and love? What is there about men that causes them to respond to respect? Shouldn't there be mutual respect? Well, sure. Shouldn't there be mutual love? Certainly. But because men and women are constructed differently, they have different effects and different meanings. And this morning we begin with the command to husbands. Verse 29 uses the words nourish and cherish. In my translation, it uses the words feed and care. 
Either way, the, the sense is clear, and that is without the unconditional love of her husband, a wife will be emotionally starved. She will be spiritually undernourished. But the opposite is also true. Notice that the effect of Christ's sacrificial love is to make the church radiant. And that says to me that unconditional love makes our wife lovely. A husband's unconditional love makes his wife blossom and grow. It brings out the best in his wife. Now, guys, we have a hard time comprehending some of these things, so let me translate this into something that we can relate to. Let me this morning talk for just a minute about about sports. Let me talk about sports. Now, if you're a husband, you are the coach of your family team, and the job of a coach is to bring out the very best in his players. Well, this morning, let me tell you about an amazing coach. This coach has one of the most successful records in the nation. This coach had teams, his teams had a 12-year winning streak in which they won 11 out of 12 national championships. And in the past 28 years, they have won 18 championship titles. This coach's overall win-loss record is an astounding 603 wins to only 27 losses. This man has won more NCAA championships in his sport than any other Division I program. And not only that, he has coached 13 different athletes to a total of 20 National Player of the Year awards. During one 12-year period, his teams won 296 wins to only eight losses. That's astounding, but wait, it gets better. His players are so good that during the 1987 season, their opponents only scored twice all season. His teams were so dominating that they never lost a home game. In 1996, his seniors had never even played in a game in which they were tied. Now, folks, that's domination. It is no wonder the NCAA recognized him as Coach of the Year in his sport seven times. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 2001, and three years later he was named one of ESPN's 25 coaches, best coaches of the past 25 years. This man has an amazing winning streak, and chances are, I'm not going to take a quiz here, but I'll bet nobody can tell me who he is. In fact, when I tell you his name, you still may not recognize him. This amazing coach is at the University of North Carolina. One of the best coaches in America is a man named Anson Dorrance. And the reason we probably don't know who he is is he is the coach of the women's soccer team. But you know what? There is not a better motivator of female athletes in a nation. And part of the reason for his success is due to the way he gets his players not just in top physical shape, but in top emotional shape. 
Durant's has coached both men's and women's soccer. And he is convinced from both of those that the way to motivate women is totally different from the way that you motivate men. Coach Durant doesn't just talk to the young ladies on his team about soccer strategy. He talks to his players about their life off the field, too. He talks to them about their hopes, their dreams, their disappointments, their grades. And everybody on his team called him by his first name. And Anson is never, ever harsh or critical with their performance the way a coach might be with male athletes. In fact, Coach Durant explains, he says, with men, coaching was a constant process of lancing overgrown egos. With women, now hear me, with women it was a constant process of building egos up. He says, I am constantly amazed by how little confidence even my most talented players have. And then he concludes with this statement, and listen carefully. A female player needs to know that you believe in her and that her, your relationship with her is never at risk. Angela Kelly, as one of his juniors, explained why that approach is so effective for a woman's team. She said, you know, if my coach yelled something harsh to me from the sidelines, I might shut down. Even if it was an important game, I would be preoccupied with wondering why he had been so cruel. Now, men, if you are a husband, you're a coach, and you're wife is the star player on your team. And part of your responsibility is to bring out the very best in her by demonstrating an unconditional love. She needs to know that her relationship with you is never at risk. Now, here I need to be more specific because here's another thing about men. We, we like things that are concrete, tangible. We don't do real well with things like love because to us that sounds so mushy and so abstract. We have a, a difficult time figuring out exactly what that means. So this morning, let me be very specific. Let me give us guys three practical suggestions. I'm going to suggest that love means three things, that it means commitment, courtship, and consideration. Let's begin with commitment. Now, you all know what the Bible says. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 6, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That means we're Christians. We believe that marriage is for life. We made a commitment, and we're sticking to it. But it means more than that. Because after all, somebody could express that to their mate, well, I made a commitment to stick with you, and I'm stuck with you, and I'm going to stick it out. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of commitment that says, I chose you once, and I'm still choosing you now. We need to find ways to say, if I had it to do all over again, I'd still 
choose you. Not coasting along on the long-ago promises of our wedding day, but still choosing her every day. i got to be honest. Some men find this suggestion annoying or even threatening. They don't want to have to rehash the issue over and over. For them, the relationship is a settled issue. But for a woman, a relationship is an ongoing process. And they deserve to be continually reassured that they are the, still the top priority in our eyes. Love means commitment. Number two... Love means courtship. Did you notice in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul doesn't say when he commands husbands to love their wives, he doesn't say, now, when you get married, you bachelors ought to love the woman who will become your wives. He didn't say that. This command was given to men who are already married. Clearly, courtship doesn't end at the altar. Now, we men tend to look at courtship in an achievement way. Courtship is what you do to get married. Well, I did that. Mission accomplished. Women tend to look at courtship in an, a relational way. To them, it's what you do to maintain the marriage. Ogden Nash, one of my favorite poems, poets, Ogden Nash has a poem entitled Advice Outside a Church in which he gives some matrimonial advice to a friend named George on his wedding day about how to treat his wife if he wants the marriage to last. Let me read you a little section of it. This is by Ogden Nash. He says, Today we fly, tomorrow we fall, and lawyers make bachelors of us all. If you desire a noisy nursery and a golden wedding anniversary, scan first the bog where thousands falter. They think the romance ends at the altar and boast that one triumphant procession has given them permanent possession. They simply desist from further endeavor and assume that their brides are theirs forever. They do not beat them. They do no wrong to them. But they take it for granted that their brides belong to them. It is pleasant, George, and necessary to pretend the arrangement is temporary. Thank her kindly for favors shown. She is the lender and she is the loan nor appear to notice the gradual shift by which the loan becomes a gift. Strong are the couples who resort more to courtship and less to court. I think that's a great sentiment. That's the message I want to leave with you on this point. What does love mean, guys? Well, love means commitment. We keep on choosing our wife. Love means courtship. We keep on showing her how much we care. And then third, love means consideration. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, in verse 3, rather, in verse 7, he says, Husbands, be considerate 
as you live with your wives. Consider it. What does consideration mean? Well, I'm going to suggest this morning consideration has both a negative side and a positive side. On the negative side, let me tell you what consideration is not. Consideration is not selfish. There's an old country song that contains these lyrics. Bring me my slippers and my house coat. Bake me up some bacon and some beans. Throw another log on the fire, woman, and then come and tell me why you're leaving me. Well, that's not consideration. When Paul describes the way that husbands ought to treat their wives, did you notice that he used two models? He used the model of how much Christ loved the church. And if I remember the story correctly, Christ loved the church enough to die for her. And the second model, he used a husband's own self-love or self-care. He says, you take care of your body, you feed and you care for your body. He said, you look at your wife in the same way. Both of those models, Christ in the church, me in my own body, both of them are a powerful warning to husbands against the temptation to be domineering, dominating, against being selfish. What is consideration? Well, it's, it's not selfishness. No, not at all. But the second thing consideration is it has a positive side, and that is consideration literally means, think about it. What does consideration literally mean? It means to consider. It means I'm thinking about you. If I am considerate of you, it means that you are on my radar screen. And you know what? That's what women want to know. Women want to know, guys, is he thinking about me? Now, sometimes this is behind the question. You know, when you're just sitting there, kind of gazing off in space, and your wife asks you, honey, what are you thinking about? Now, the right answer is always, oh, about you, hon. But you always say, oh, I'm not thinking about anything or nothing. Now, that doesn't make sense to a woman. A woman can't understand how you can think about nothing. Women can't do that. Men can, Okay. When your husband says nothing, that's probably what he means. He means nothing. But they want to know, are we thinking about them? And if the negative side of consideration is unselfishness, then the positive side is thoughtfulness. Now, this is important because a woman wants to know, needs to know, deserves to know that she is valued, that she is not taken for granted. That she's not just a, another tool in her husband's toolkit. Well, let me see. I got my torque wrench. I got my power saw. I got my good wife. You know, that she's just not some tool to be used. Let me be even more specific. When we're talking about consideration, when Peter tells husbands, be considerate, let me tell you three things that means. Number one, that means time and attentiveness. Some of you were here yesterday when I talked about the importance of family time. Well, that's doubly important for marriages. One of the most precious things we have to give our partner is our time, our free time. Not just task-oriented, but just time to spend with them. Courtship, consideration, conversation, friendship. Women want to be valued as a person. Time Second, courtesy. Courtesy. 
We need to pitch in and help out at home. We need to take a load off of her every now and then. We need to help her with a task around the house. We just need to be, just need to be courteous to our wives. And then the third thing is we need to give our wife, we need to give her a gift. And I'm not talking about a guilt gift or a birthday gift or a holiday gift or even a I really want you in a good mood gift. I'm talking about a genuinely unconditional gift. And guys, don't worry. I'm not asking you to go shopping or even remember any clothing sizes. That's not what I'm talking about. This is the gift I'm talking about. Do something just for her. Something that will surprise her. Something that will let her know that she is on your radar screen. Your unconditional love is designed to bring out the best in your wife, to make her radiant. Paul says, he who loves his wife loves himself. And what I take from that is that when I am good to my mate, I'm doing myself a favor. You remember the old saying, sometimes you see it on little plaques in gift shops, when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Ah, but I like the reverse of that. When I'm making my wife valued, when I'm making my wife happy, the whole home is sweeter and more joyful. So, that's to the husbands. The husband's command is to love his wife. Now to the wives. The wife's command is respect. Now that sounds a little foreign to our ears today because we have been so indoctrinated in equality, which by the way the Bible teaches, that we have also just about lost the notion of submission, which the Bible also teaches. Respect is commanded. That means it is a gift that you ladies can give your wives, your husbands, and it is just as unconditional as the love commanded of the husband. And this morning I'm going to suggest it is just as important to his emotional well-being. Why does God say that men need Respect. I'm going to suggest it has to do again with the difference between men and women. Men are more oriented toward achievement. Women are oriented toward affiliation. Another way to say that is women like to belong. Men want to be strong. Men want something they can conquer. They're always striving for success. Women want someone with whom they can connect. They want a relationship. I heard somebody explain it this way, and it kind of makes sense to me. Somebody said, boys will put up with being on a team in order to play sports. Girls will put up with sports in order to be on a team. Now, that's not 100% true, but it's, it's true enough. I am convinced that most married women... No matter how liberated, really do want their husband to be a leader. 
really do want him to accept the responsibility for providing for the family, for protecting the home, and for dealing with difficulties. When you're in bed in the middle of the night and you're both asleep and you hear a terrible noise in the house, you husbands, you just kick your wife out of bed and say, go check that, honey, and see what happens. No, she wants you to get up and you take the baseball bat and you go look for the thief in the house. Okay. By the way, I, I taught this lesson one Sunday night and the following Tuesday night, my wife were in bed in the middle of the night and we heard this boom out in the garage. And I said, well, I'm stuck now. I've already preached this. So I get up and I go out and, and the coil on our garage door in the middle of the night broke and it went bam, 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 and just, just terrible noise. Okay, so thank goodness it wasn't a thief. But I got stuck with my own sermon. I had to get up and go out. All right. You need to be the leader in the home. I'm convinced that most women want their husband to fill that role. And I'm also convinced that if the husband is going to be a leader, it will be because his wife promotes it with her submission, with her support, and with her respect. Historians and biographers have long understood that. You ever heard the saying, behind every great man is a surprised mother-in-law? No, behind every great man is a great woman. And they know that that man couldn't have achieved what he got without his wife supporting him. By the way, did you ever notice in Proverbs chapter 31 where he has the list of the qualities of that worthy woman, all those great things that that woman does? You get down to verse 29, and as it lists her qualities, it says her husband is an elder at the gate, and he's respected in the city there. Do you ever wonder why that's there? I'll tell you why it's there. It's because he is a leader because his wife helped him become one by her support and her respect. From the very beginning, God intended for men to be leaders. And by the way, I said a minute ago that women need love. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? That's a natural human emotion. And many women are going to tell their husbands that that's what they need. But ladies... This morning, can I tell you something that your husband probably doesn't know how to tell you? And if he, even if he did, he might not articulate. Can I, can I share a little secret with you about men? I want you to understand that men feel so very keenly, more than we could, that you could ever realize or understand. Men, we feel the need to be successful to do well, to not be a failure. And I've got to be honest, it's a rough world out there, and a man needs to know that there is one place where he is supported, where he is accepted, where he can let his guard down. A man wants to know that he means something to somebody, that he counts by the way, this is why men watch sports. They identify with a hero. This is why boys look at action movies. They identify with a hero. It's a guy thing. And ladies, you need to understand this. Every man wants to know that he's a hero in his wife's eyes. And if he doesn't get that respect, 
and he doesn't get that support at home, where's he going to find it? From immersing himself in his work? Down at the corner bar? In the arms of another woman? Every man so very keenly feels the need to measure up. And the way you can help him is by supporting him, by respecting him, by encouraging him. And let me give you, in closing, three specific suggestions as to how to do that. Let me talk to you about respect. I, I gave the men three suggestions for love. Let me give you three suggestions for respect. respect let, re, suggestion number one. Ladies, do you communicate respect in your conversations with your husband? Now, most women, I've got to tell you, most women are by nature more verbal than their husbands. Little girls learn to speak more quickly than little boys. Women are typically much more fluent than men. And women often don't realize how intimidated a big husky man can feel when he is verbally outgunned by his wife. By the way, I have a whole seminar just on, on this subject. Invite me back and I'll preach that one to you. But men have a hard time holding their own verbally. And by the way, you really need to watch your tone because your tone can communicate disrespect, can communicate disgust, can communicate contempt. Tone is really, really important when you're talking with your husband. It can be inviting or insulting. It can be antagonistic or attractive. Your tone can provoke a fight or soothe a hurting heart. Remember what Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Do you communicate respect in your conversations? Number two, if you criticize, do you also compliment? You know, it's one of the ironies of life that we would be ever so careful in correcting others, and yet sometimes we can take our mates totally for granted by criticizing them harshly. But as I've said, most men are not going to tell you how that really affects them. Instead, they're going to just retreat into silence and distance and apathy. Ladies, remember this need in your husband the next time he makes a mistake. And we'll make mistakes. For example, the next time you send him to the store for groceries and he accidentally brings home cabbage instead of lettuce. Now, you can do one of two things. You can rip him up one side and down the other. You can criticize him harshly. You can chew him out good. And that's really going to motivate him to buy the groceries next time, right? Or ladies, you can kindly teach him the difference between a cabbage and a lettuce, and then you take that cabbage and make some coleslaw. Because you want to communicate respect. Even when your husband makes a mistake, and I would even say this morning, maybe especially when he makes a mistake. And then finally, number three, does he know that your support 
is unconditional. I know husbands can make a lot of foolish mistakes, but I also know that it is possible to raise the bar so high that a man doesn't feel like he can ever measure up. And yes, I know some husbands are inconsiderate, uncaring, and unloving. I know that. But I've also learned that some husbands are just plain discouraged. Your husband needs that you to know that you support him even when the chips are down, even when he has tried and failed. Maybe especially when he has tried and failed. I don't know anything that will sink a relationship lower than those four hateful words. I told you so. I don't know anything that will lift a relationship higher than those four wonderful words. You're still my hero. Just as women need unconditional love, men need unconditional respect. So this morning, what have we learned about men and women? We have learned that if the husband is to build up his wife, then the wife should look up to her husband. If he is responsible, she can be responsive. If he is a genuine leader, it is easier for her to be a lover. If she looks up to him, it empowers him to live up to her expectations. A truly great union between a husband and wife takes years, decades, maybe even a lifetime to achieve, but it is worth it. May that be your goal. And may that be your experience is my prayer.